The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Mike'sArchery.com. They're a one-stop shop for virtually everything archery, bow hunting, and for your next outdoor adventure. Mike's Archery has been at the top of the archery game for over 50 years, and they want to give listeners of the Redneck Tech Podcast 10% off their entire online store using the code REDNECK10, all one word. Just put the code in before you check out, and your boys will hook you up. The guys at Mike's have always been good to us, and now they can be good to you too. Visit mikesarchery.com and get your gear now. Right here, right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want it? Yeah. Welcome back, Redneck Tech Podcast, episode 148. This is the Top Gun Maverick review. Spoilers ahead, spoilers ahead, just to let you know. If you haven't seen the movie, you really should. Um, If you're watching on YouTube, which is the best place to watch it, um, which is the only place to watch it on this one, we did a short Redneck Tech Live a minute ago to point everybody towards the YouTube. If you're watching the YouTube, you see there's a new face to my left. This is Hunter Graham. Hunter came to our... uh, Editing class, right? That's right. Came to our editing class this, uh, when did we do that? February? February, yep. So he is currently doing some interning for us. He's going to learn the ropes a little bit, nice. hang out with us, pull that a little closer to your mouth. You're yeah. a little too low again. He's the first intern ever. There we go. There you go. Right. Hold on. Yeah, there you go. Gotta get real close. Real you gotta, close. It's got to be really close. It's got to be like pointed right there in your mouth. Go. There like you my go. My mustache right. almost scratches it the entire time. Yeah. It's on my so face. Yeah. it's a very directional microphone, but sounds good when it's in the right place. Well, these are technically um, they're broadcast microphones for really for like sports announcers and things like yeah. that where they're operating in noisy environments. We have just ordered the cables to try and fix our audio issues for our live streams on Instagram and or TikTok. So um, we're working on that. But you see, don't see Keegan, you don't see Clay. Clay didn't go to the movie yesterday. He said he had prior obligations. We still don't know if we believe him. Keegan is out of town on a shoot right now. So us three went to the movie yesterday. I'd already seen it one time, and then we found out there's an IMAX 45 minutes away. Ryer, of all people, has not seen it. So we all had three not. I have had now. not. And, and, uh, and to be no, fair, hold on, the reason getting, I hadn't seen uh, it is because I was on a trip working yes, for this company. I'm getting there. Which so you own. We three, us three <laughs> went to the IMAX and watched it yesterday together. We didn't get to sit together. It was a pretty full theater. Hunter and I sat next to each other. Oh, yeah. Oh, did you really? Yeah, because, you know, people get assigned seats and then they're just like, no. They don't do they don't do the assigned seats, mm. and so it. I mean, it worked out. They did the assigned seats and took his the, what was his seat and left the one next to me open. So it worked out nicely. Well, I did not. I sat next to two not good people to sit next to. Just so you're aware. Why were they, they not chatty? good people to sit I next to? I can't. It it'd be offensive for the things that I would say, so I'm not going to say them. Did they smell? Yes. Were they out of shape? Enormously large. <laughs> Spilled that's over not, into my seat. Mm. And I'm not a small person. I mean, I don't think that's offensive. It was offensive. You're, you're. It was offensive to me. But anyway, so we, we went and saw the movie um, because I wanted to see it again, and I wanted to see it in IMAX. And I went with my brother and my dad, and we were in Pigeon Forge this last weekend. And I really went and saw it out of spite because I knew Ryer couldn't go see it. I saw it the day it came out. And the reason I saw it out of spite is because... <laughs> 
Ryer's a gigantic Top Gun fan. Yes. So explain for people that don't know you or the podcast, kind of take us back. How far? <laughs> All the way. I, I probably, and how much detail? I probably should <laughs> give you a time limit on this. Like why I like Top Gun? Tell, yeah, just kind of give us the why. Why was this movie so important to you? Uh, well, show hold on. Show are you gonna? Is the poster coming out at a certain time or? Yeah, later. Okay, go ahead. I gave it up, so I guess it comes out now. Right. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know if you had forgotten it. Caleb actually got this poster for me when they announced Top Gun Two was coming out, and if you look very closely, it says 2020. Um, I've been waiting for this movie for two years. Oh, well, really? Over two years? Over two years, I've been waiting for this movie. Um, probably over, yeah, because they rumored it, and then they said it was going to come out, and then they just kept delaying and delaying and delaying and delaying. And at first, I was angry, and I was like, hey, you know what? Um, so, yeah, this is like an OG poster, and probably nobody else has this. So, mm-hmm. You're welcome. Thank you. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, awesome. It needs to go on my movie wall that I haven't made yet. Uh, but I will at some point, probably when I redo my office at some point. Um, I was originally angry that they took so long to put it out, but now that I saw it. Worth the wait. Yeah, it like, I think it's a move. And I try to be pretty measured with this. Like, I understand there's some movies that's like, okay, if you see it in theaters or you see it at your house, it doesn't really matter. This is not one of this those is movies. not a movie that is like you will get the you will not get the same experience at your house unless you have a literal movie thing in your house with but surround sound. Before you and go a too too deep into the review, I want to say something. So I, I just want well, you to kind of talk about why Top Gun One is so important. So don't talk about Top Gun Two yet. So uh, I was not supposed to be here. This was not where my life was supposed to be. <laughs> Um, I was supposed we're the second. We're the definitely the second choice for Ryer. I was, I was supposed to be here, or even like flying the refueling planes for these. Or yeah. so, like the entire life plan from as early as I could remember was to fly um, planes. Obviously, anybody who wants to fly military planes. But specifically. Was, but was that before or after you saw Top Gun? No, that was before. Oh, so even before you saw the movie? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I. But my, why? But because your dad was in the Air Force. Uh, my dad was in the Air Force, and I just like planes. I don't know. It's just, you know, like you grow up, and there's just yeah. something you like. Yeah. I liked planes, and, you know. You wanted to I, go fast. I wanted to go fast. <laughs> I want to go fast. And, like, <laughs> what's, true. what's a cooler thing to do? Like, what's a cooler plane? Like, if you're going to have a goal in life, and you're going to work basically your entire life towards something, uh, like, do you want it to be flying Cessna 172s? No. You want it to be flying military jets. Because that's that is the epitome of cool things to do. You know, a thought, especially that, if you like planes. A thought that I had, and see, I've like I thought I think it's cool to fly. I think fighter jets are really really cool. I really do. But I, out of all the military movies I've ever seen, used to think it's still a close race. That like if you could have been the most BA dude in the military, I always used to think it was a Navy SEAL. I don't know if that's the case anymore. I honestly, that, I think there's so many jobs in the military. That oh, yeah, there are. But like, fighter pilot, pretty freaking up there, dude. Like, that's yeah. up there. It's a, it's almost like two different types of... Well, that, and that's, But that's a, that's a thought I hadn't had until I watched this because, next, last like, movie. Your Navy SEALs are your quintessential, like, tough warrior. will kill everyone, everywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that type of BA. 
Can I can I just say it? Do I have to say sure, Ryer? I hate saying ba- I, badass. Okay, <laughs> it's badass. I won't say the word I usually put before it. It starts with an F. <laughs> it rhymes with uh, fire truck. <laughs> fire trucking. Um, I'm sorry, then, people. And then you have fighter pilots, which are like that's a almost like a just an extreme sport. And just some of the most capable, intelligent people in the entire military. Mm-hmm. Like the the guys who they choose to fly fighter planes are like one step down from astronauts. Yeah, that's why most astronauts were fighter pilots. Yeah, or pilots to some extent. So obviously, when I'm growing up and I want to fly planes in the Air Force, I want to fly fighter jets. And so, you know, I I always remember I lived across from the Air Force Academy, and every year. Um, when the Air Force Academy does their graduation, they have the Thunderbirds come in, which is the Air Force's uh, Blue Angels. And so the Blue Angels are the same planes that were in Top Gun, F-18s. They were F-14s before that, which is what was in the first Top Gun and the end of the second Top Gun. Uh, But the Air Force's um, Thunderbirds are F-16s, and they would come in a week before graduation, and they would spend a week practicing the runs around the mountains and over the stadium and all that, It I didn't get anything done that week. Like, I would be sitting in school, and you would hear, like, rumbles of fighter planes, and I would, it doesn't matter what was going on, I would get out of my seat and go look to, at a window to find them, <laughs> run outside. I, like, I can't, I physically cannot, you guys have seen, I can't, there's been times where I've been literally filming shots, and the hardest thing for me to do is not look at planes in the sky. So... So the entire my entire life was was built towards hopefully becoming a fighter pilot. Like I did okay. all of the all of the stuff to try to get there, and obviously I wouldn't have made it because of my eyesight and whatever else. But like genetics, like that's what I don't know if the eyesight is genetics. One hundred percent. I think there was some trauma involved with my cross eye, but <laughs> can't be certain. Uh, but like that was my entire life. So when there's a movie that depicts exactly what you want to do with your life, especially when you see it as, like, a, a young kid and a teenager. Like, that's the coolest freaking movie you've ever seen. Like, so, that's the only so movie me, ever. So give me, can you remember, like, your thoughts after the you watched it for the first time? The Top Gun 1, like. Uh, I just, the, the thing that I remember most probably is the intro scene. Mm-hmm. Like, the intro scene, the first intro scene of Top Gun is probably one of the coolest plane scenes ever. Because it's got the carriers and the light and the smoke and the jet noises and the freaking soundtrack and just like showing people doing plain things off a carrier. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. So I just for, I don't know, it's like one of those things that's so ingrained in me. I can't really, I don't have a definitive yeah. moment of like, this is when I knew this was cool. Like it was just always, I've loved Top Gun. Okay, here's, loved the, the here's the next question. How many times have you seen Top Gun 1? Uh, I don't know. If it's on, I watch it. And then, uh, I don't know, I probably watch it like once a year or something like that, just randomly. Last year I went and saw it in theaters because I, I had never seen it in theaters. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'd only ever seen it like, you know, on... on um, VHS and DVD? Yeah, or like on the TV or whatever. Yeah. And then last year I saw that the theater was kind of doing a little promo run of it to help to keep people interested in yeah. Top Gun 2. So they had Top Gun 1 and I went and saw it in theaters and that was pretty cool. All right, so let's transition a little bit. So, Hunter, 
You went to the movie with us. Yep. You've seen Top Gun 1, I assume. Yes. Okay. I, honestly, when he asked me earlier in the day, I was I was <laughs> unsure if I had seen it. And then as soon as it started, I was so. oh, yeah, I've seen this movie. I've seen the first one. Okay. So what were, like, I just want, like, top skim 10,000 foot. Like, what were your thoughts of the movie? The second one or the first the one? The second one. The second one, it was um, by far the best sequel movie I've seen because they tied in together so so well. Yeah. I thought it was, I mean, it was like, what, I mean, what you cried, what, six times throughout the movie? Well, we were getting there. Oh, we're, we're getting, getting there. there. I was going to give me a hard time. I'm That's not okay. ashamed. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm <laughs> no, not going to give you, I'm not going to give you a hard time. No, you should, yeah. Um, yeah, it was uh, very, there was a lot of parts in it that were, that and if I had seen it more recently, I would have picked up on a lot more. Seen the first one more recently, I would have picked up on a lot more. I think. But. So I thought before I saw that movie that not I didn't think this. I, I thought there was a possibility that cinema, like going to the movies, is an outdated, you know, like it, it's not going to live. Even though I love going to the movies, like. I've I've said that before. Like, if there's one job that I would have over this one, it would be to critique movies and watch them. And like, and I'm not like a technical person that can tell you all these crazy things. Like, but I adore watching movies and series that have good character development, good cinematography. But if you you owe it to yourself to go watch this movie in IMAX, and the reason I say that is the experience of not only the cinematography and the sound and the immersive experience that IMAX is, you are doing yourself a disservice not to go see it in that quality. And to me, if that is the standard to which movies are going to be from here on out, I don't think cinema is going anywhere. I don't think IMAX is going anywhere. I don't think going to the movies is going anywhere. And I want to spend an enormous amount of money to try and recreate that at home somehow. (laughs) I know I can't. You'll never be able to, unless you buy your own freaking IMAX movie theater, which, I mean, I guess you could if you had Elon Musk money. But, like... You can buy a really nice projector, have a big screen, and a good sound system. But, like, I want to kind of give my initial thoughts, and I want... Ryer, you to give your initial thoughts. So I watched it in the movie theaters the first time. I think we should also preface the fact that I was skeptical oh, and a well, little that's, guarded. That's going what I was. That's what I was getting to. Yeah, I went and watched it before you. For, not for the simple, not to rub it in your face. I mean, that might have been two percent of it. Oh, two percent. I would give it I, a solid twenty. I really, I really wanted to watch it anyway because I mean, I liked Top Gun one. I did. It's not in my like top. 20, 30 movies, but Damn, like it was make the top 20. Mm, no, it's not yeah. a, it's, but it's a good movie. I've never been a huge fan of Tom Cruise just because I know how, how big of a weirdo he is off camera. But I've also came to the realization that most of my favorite actors and actresses are crazy weirdos off camera. Like Jeff Daniels is my favorite actor and he is a crazy liberal idiot off camera. On camera, he is an incredible actor. And I kind of have turned that corner with Tom Cruise now, too. It's like, I have such a respect for what that guy does, doing his own stunts, putting himself through the ringer on all this, and he's been doing it for 30-something years now. 
Um, I was skeptical going into the movie, but I really thought I walked out of that movie yesterday, Ryer, looking at you, and I was thinking one of two things. He's going to A, have cried, which he did, <laughs> or B, he's going to look at me and be furious because there's some sort of story piece that they didn't get right and it's just going to overshadow the whole movie. And I was very happy to see that you enjoyed it because I was like, I knew in your mind for two years <laughs> this thing has been just churning in there. And be like, what if they do this? What if they screw this up? What if they bring that person back? What if they do this? What if the planes aren't good? What if the sound isn't good? What if this and that and this and that? And they've hyped this thing up. And it's got to be this thing. And I'm like, nobody has blown this thing out of proportion in their mind more than Ryer has. And for it to, it far exceeded my expectations. And then you tell me it's exceeded your expectations. So... I want to go in. Uh, here, here's how I'm trying to structure this podcast so I don't miss things. I want you to kind of go into what you thought story-wise and everything else. Then I want to get into the production side of it. So talk to me about like how they did on the sequel and the story. Um, yeah, I mean, I was really, I was trying to have uh, tempered expectations of it because, um, with a lot of sequels, especially nowadays, like right now and maybe for the past five years, there's been a really big push to capitalize on nostalgia, which means that a lot of movies and things are getting remade, yeah. redone, and sequeled. Um, and usually sequels suck. Usually right. the sequels are terrible. Yeah, because it's like, okay, we've got this generation that grew up. I mean, I, I would say that probably, maybe not necessarily your generation, but like your dad's generation was really the first generation that really had um, very formative experiences surrounding movies and movie theaters and um, that like, kind of like media. the apocalypse now type right. generation, the Star Wars, all yeah, that stuff. yeah, yeah. Star and then of Wars. course, um, once your generation com comes around, it's even more so. And now it's almost getting a little bit away from it because, like. With your dad's generation, only so many movies came out and everybody went to see them. Mm -hmm. And that kind of continued through kind of the 90s and then TV started to become that thing. And now you get it every once in a while when something really big on streaming comes out. Like um, when Stranger Things 1 came out. Something Game like that. Game of Thrones, Stranger of Thrones, Things, Yellowstone. Yellowstone but, yeah, those type of... Yeah. Um, due to like those generations getting older and enough time having passed and technology having increased, a lot of studios are like, well, that's almost guaranteed money. Yeah. Oh yeah. We can make a sequel or redo it with a different cast or make a live action. Of or a even cartoon, prequels, not even sequels or a prequel. And it's like, we can almost guarantee that we get our money back on that film. Yeah. And I would probably say that 25% of the time, it's not even close to the original. It's like you, they just like threw the same kind of stuff together. And I was like, here you go. Just enough to satisfy like a nostalgic craving. Mm -hmm. And so I was really worried that Top Gun 2 Maverick would be the same thing mm -hmm. where they would be just be trying to, yeah. cap they're basically just trying to capitalize on nostalgia and get a bunch of people back into the movie theater and make a bunch of money on a blockbuster. And they weren't going to really give it the, the time and the the effort that it needed 
and make it like its own thing, but also a compliment to the first. Because mm-hmm. honestly, the first is standalone. Like you didn't need to have a second. Were there loose ends? Yes. But there's a lot of movies with loose ends. Well, and mo- that's almost not, all the good movies have a loose end somewhere. Yeah, and that's not always bad. Like, And there was nothing that I felt like we, before seeing this movie, before seeing Top Gun 2, there's nothing that I felt like I needed more of. Obviously, I want more jet plane noises. Like, I went into <laughs> this, I was like, if the if the plane sequences are cool, because I knew they filmed them, at, like, in real life, and, like, there's jet plane noises, I'll be satisfied with it. Like, oh, I, were you satisfied? I, I was. <laughs> um, I was, was satisfied with the plane noises. <laughs> yeah, that was my thoughts going into it. Like, that was kind of how I was guarding my expectations. Yeah. So that I was able to kind of separate that from the first one in case it was just a, a money grab, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, at least if we got cool plane noises, I'm happy. I'm a simple guy like planes. Yeah. Um, but after seeing it, they gave me something I didn't know that I wanted. Like, I went into it not knowing that I wanted closure. I wanted um, these story arcs and these character arcs to be completed. And they they did such a perfect job of combining... Uh, homages to the original Mm -hmm. plus completing a story arc that I thought had been complete. And not only the continuations of the people. And developing all the characters. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. all the storylines. The continuation of the people was so good to see that Maverick is still a captain. (laughs) You know, that (laughs) he's not, he's a very decorated captain. That Iceman is now the commander of the entire naval, you know, air fleet. And, you know, that Maverick still being Maverick. He's still breaking rules, still doing his own thing, not listening to anybody. It's obviously still chasing good-looking women. Well, But you see him come into a maturity. Like, at yeah. the original Top Gun, you kind of see that story arc begin, right? Where mm-hmm. he starts off as he's just cocky. Yeah. Um, the best there is. You can't tell him anything. He's going to do what he wants. He's Hangman. Yeah, he is Hangman. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, like, he's just, he's a Maverick. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's where his name comes from. Yeah. And then by the end of that movie, after Goose's death, he kind of figures out, like, oh, I can't just be this solo guy. I need to work with people. I need to... And you saw him care. Some order you see him and, care and, like, really try and become, right. a, like, pseudo-father figure to Rooster and all those type things. And yeah. it's, it's really cool to see him evolve. And then there's kind of bringing it back to what you're talking about with plain noises that's kind of going back to why you have to watch it in IMAX or watch it in a theater because watching it on your cell phone is literally doing this movie a disservice or watching it on your laptop is a disservice to this movie unless you're watching it with like really nice headphones in a dark room and you know you just spend the money go watch an IMAX because the old man in front of me, when he got up after the movie was over, he said, my, my hearing's never going to be the same. <laughs> and it's like, but in all the right, for all the right reasons, you know, they... Well, if you've ever gone and, like, I don't know, it was a formative event of my childhood to go watch the Thunderbirds, like, every year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if you go watch planes, like, of that power and speed, it's... An incredible, it's a full body like experience. Like, yeah. you feel them. Oh, like that scene whenever, um, 
I can't remember the guy's name. He rolls up to the gate and the plane goes right over top. I'm like, you would have been doing a backflip. Yeah, he'd have been blown life. off the thing. Yeah, yeah but it's it's yeah. incredible. If you haven't gone and seen like a Thunderbirds or a Blue Angels demonstration, like go see one. Mm-hmm. There, it's one of the cooler things that you can do in the, life. To it's me, like it's it's so freaking sweet. Like it's it's just a visceral feeling. I and you know I don't know if other people get this way, but like there's certain moments in my life where I get like a childlike joy mm-hmm. that's not like it just comes out of nowhere and you and it's like I literally am so happy right now for no reason and that plane noises like a plane flying like a jet plane flying over me I cannot like I could literally be in the depths of a depression and that would pull me out of it so if I ever get super depressed this just go send me to a plane show so you had a very specific number of times that you cried. Six, I counted them. Okay. What was the first one? The first one was uh, when uh, Iceman said, he typed on his computer, you've got to let him go, Mav. Yeah. Because that was proud. Like, there had been little homages to the original um, in the first time. There was a flashback sequence to um, Goose's death. Uh, when he's standing outside the bar watching Rooster play the yeah. piano, which playing was the same song, which that I didn't his realize how played. I didn't realize how much Miles Teller looked like him. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like that and was Miles Teller did a great job, by the way. Yeah, really good job. Yeah, so I didn't cry then. Um, Tom Cruise actually did a really really good job yeah. acting. Which, like, there are so many nice. Oh my, like the f- intro scene started exactly the same as mm-hmm. the other one. That was really cool. You know, the piano where uh, Rooster was playing the same song that mm-hmm. uh, Goose played with Rooster sitting on top of the yeah. piano in the bar from the first one. That choked um, me up. <laughs> that choked yeah. you up? Oh, yeah. 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 That was legit. The, yeah, ending, I, the ending choked me up a little bit. Yeah. So, all right, would, so that was number one. So well, that number, was number one. Number two. Um, you know, You know, just to back up, you know Val Kilmer virtually like begged to be on the movie, and they put him in there, and they had to like digitally create his voice because I don't even think he can actually talk right now. Mm. They had to do all that digitally. That's why like most of it was typed, and then he uh, that one little time he speaks, like all that was like digitally done from like old movies and old audio that they had of him. Huh? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, so yeah. there's that one. I lost count of the specific instances, but I know like when he, when he gets the orders that he's he's the captain, mm-hmm. and he walks into the bar, and he sees Penny across the bar, and she's happy, and he's in his white mm-hmm. suit. Is that are those called dress blues? Yeah, those are your dress whites. Dress whites. I okay. believe they're called whites. I would have to ask um, some of my navy friends, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> the that made me choke <laughs> That's up. A rhetorical question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God, that, that got me. Yeah. There's a really good comic relief a couple times in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they do a really good job of working it. I honestly, and I, I know, don't don't be offended when I say this. It reminds me of how they did it in the newsroom. How it'd be such a serious, like, you know, thoughtful thing, and then they would somehow figure out how to wake, work a one-liner comedy, like where you're like, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, they they did a really good job of. Building tension and then letting you down. Building tension, letting you down. Bringing tension, letting you down. All right, so what was the other times? I need to know all the times you cried. Um, 
<laughs> Let's see. The you said you almost sobbed at one point. Yeah, I think the time <laughs> where I almost cried the hardest was when uh, um, Maverick and Rooster are on the carrier deck, about to go into their planes for the for the final mission, and um, they kind of have that moment. I see when we get back. Yeah, and then yeah. And then with the plane captain saying it's been an honor serving with you. I, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty tough. Yeah, that but was good. They did a really good job of that. Especially because I was like. You didn't know if he was actually going to live through it. Yeah. Since you knew there wasn't going to be another movie. Yeah, well, I, the it was like one of those where you just weren't sure. Because some movies, like, uh, you can just kind of tell. Like, they're not going to kill off the main character. Yeah. Right? But they were wrapping things up so much that they could have killed Maverick. Mm-hmm. They could have killed him. Yeah, I like one hundred percent. They could have killed him, and it would have felt fitting. Yeah, like if 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 Maverick died in a mission, especially to protect Rooster, mm-hmm. like that makes sense. That's a very fitting way for Maverick to go. Story to yeah. end. Yeah, right. And they had already played up the whole okay Val oh when they when they showed the funeral for Iceman mm-hmm. cried. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So Iceman, ironically enough, made me cry twice. <laughs> uh, yeah. So like, Iceman was dead. Um, he had already kind of said goodbye to Penny. And left her again, like he had always done. Um, he he had made up, kind of, with Rooster, and uh, kind of helped him become who he needed to be. Yeah. And then, like, that was theoretically his last mission uh, ever. Like, he was going to be grounded after that. He had instructed... He stole planes. Stole planes. Like, he had done all the things. Mm-hmm. All the storylines were, like, finished. And, like, he had finally come full circle in his going from the reckless Maverick at the beginning of Top Gun who didn't care about anyone to... He actually stole two planes in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, like, a, a mature realizing, like, that flying isn't the most important thing. Yeah. And that the people who you surround yourself with are important and teamwork is important and that like you, you, um, he, he could kind of like let the past of goose finally go. Yeah. Cause him, him letting rooster be his own person without trying to influence him or like he pulled the Academy papers from him because he didn't want to be his mom didn't want to be a pilot, but I don't think Mav wanted to be a pilot either. Yeah, no, I don't think he, he did. He didn't want him to follow in the steps of his father. Yeah, which is kind of the same, honestly the same thing that happened with Maverick. Yeah, because um, Maverick was always haunted by the ghost of his father, mm-hmm. and so he wanted to pre- prevent that for Rooster, and he didn't want to go on the mission because he didn't want him to die. But finally, he's like, okay, he's got to be his own man. You know, I just realized mm. Penny and Pete. Yeah, Pete and Penny. It's kind of a weird. It is. Didn't think just now. I realized that. Here, so I want to go back. Cinematography incredible. If you don't know, 
a lot of it. They actually flew a lot of the jets. A lot of the they didn't a lot actually of the, fly a lot of the jets. They flew all of the. They jets. They did fly all the jets. Every but, flight sequence you see in there is a real plane. Yeah, that but, was filmed in the air. That, in real life, with that's the actors that's down. why it's so good. Um, is because they really take you into that experience the best way they know how. Why was Rooster reluctant to go fast? Like, what was his reasoning for that? I never really grasped why he didn't want to hit it hard until right there at the very end. Was it his dad? Was he kind of afraid? Was he kind of... I think there might have been a portion of that, but I think there probably was. Like, if you think about it, Rooster obviously knew what happened to his father. He knew that the reason that Goose died was because Maverick flew recklessly. Yeah. And so Just while touch. he's a pilot, he he's a very measured, a very safe and very careful pilot. And he doesn't take unnecessary risks, which Maverick has always been the opposite. Yeah. Maverick always takes a risk. I mean, they start off, the movie starts off with him, every single time he's in a plane, he takes a risk almost. Um, and Speaking I think, of the SR-71 scene, what do you think about that? Well, technically, it's not SR-71. What was it? Uh, it's a concept plane. Uh, it. I just watched a YouTube video on it, but they enlisted the uh, guys at Skunk Works, who are the engineers who are behind some of the more iconic... I saw that skunk on there. I was wondering what yeah, that was. I was wondering. So Skunk thing. Works, I actually, if you read books... Um, Don't. Or you can watch... Nep- YouTube documentaries, but Skunk Works are the people who developed a lot. It's uh, a lot of the really advanced stealth concepts from like the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. So they developed the F one seventeen stealth fighter. That's the really triangular looking one. Mm-hmm. Then uh, from that, they developed the B two bomber, which is the stealth bomber, the one that like is all curvy and wide, and mm-hmm. just looks like a giant flying wing. Um, they developed the SR-71, which is the fastest operational plane ever. Uh, they developed, I think they developed the U-2 spy plane, uh, before the SR-71. And this is a private company? It's a division of, I believe, Lockheed Martin. Oh, okay. And so what, what happens is the government, like with planes, what, what usually happens is the government or the Air Force or the Navy or the joint, um, whatever, uh, Naval Air Command or whatever. No, like you know the the now nowadays anymore uh, a lot of the military parts work together, like that's central command and stuff like that. Uh, so, and that like the F thirty five was supposed to be one plane that would work for all of the services. It would work for Air Force, it would work for the Marines, it would work for the Navy with small modifications between them. But usually, what happens is the government and the military are like, okay, this is, we need this type of airframe for this type of mission, and it needs to meet these requirements. And they send out this thing to the to the aerospace companies. World. And they're like, here you go, these are our requirements, we want, a, we want something like this. And so then companies will try to develop something, and one of them will end up winning the contract, and then the uh, military will purchase those planes from that company. Uh, and Skunk Works is like Lockheed's division for doing that. Uh, but in the 
clandestine space, right? Gotcha. So, like, when they're developing these things, nobody knows about them. They're working with technology that doesn't exist yet. Um, almost like the atomic bomb, the Manhattan Project. Same sort of deal. Not the same amount of segmentation. Um, but, like, they kind of are working away from the usual engineers just kind of isolated by themselves working on these top secret um, military airframe projects. And so there's always, they're probably working on something right now that will come out in 20 years and we'll be like, holy crap. Mm -hmm. Because I always think about it. You've got these planes that we know about now. Like the only reason we know about them is probably because they have better ones now. Yeah. They're, they're outdated. I mean, I don't think, uh, I think they still use U2s. They obviously still use, uh, I think they still use the B2s. Uh, I think they use F-117s maybe occasionally, but I'm not sure about that. Um, but like the SR-71, I don't, they don't fly that anymore for uh, military purposes. Um, you can never really be too sure. <laughs> but uh, I think I think NASA has a, has a couple of them. One or two SR-71s, and then there's a couple of U-2s that also NASA uses. And um, if I'm not mistaken, some of my information is a little foggy on that. But, yeah, they're basically, they're developing the the planes that we don't know about. Yeah. The next generation of things. Like when they said fifth generation fighters, what they're talking about is um, they're in in the iteration of fighter aircraft they've kind of decided there's generations just like generations of people and they each have different characteristics and so um the fifth generation fighter is kind of where we're at right now at least what we know about and so that would be your f-35s and is that what those were the technically quote-unquote fifth generation fighters they're fighting against yeah they, well no those weren't f-35s those were whatever the russian equivalent, equivalent would is. be um which I'm I'm not sure what that is off the top of my head. I'm not very well versed on Russian aircraft, um, but the F-18s, I believe, were uh, their their fourth gen, and then before that, you had your F-14s, which is the original Top Gun and yeah. end of Top Gun too. So right. if you had and like your F-16s and F-15s are yeah. are fourth gens, I believe. Like we just recently got into the the fifth gens with the, I think the 22s and the 35s and, and just the kind of a whole new way of operating. Um, instead of it just being like a plane anymore, it's part of like this giant web of technology. I mean, the helmet for an F-35 is $400,000. The helmet, meaning what goes on the, the dude's head? Because of the targeting the systems that it has inside of it, the imaging stuff, all the things that go into the helmet. Um, and they're meant to be used as part of a network. Like the the goal is to have like an F-35 and then a bunch of drones with it that can also be kind of controlled or used in conjunction with the um, F-35 airframe and everything kind of works together um, trying to just go further and further and further into uh, using the UAVs and stuff like that. Like the, like the F-14 was a two-person two person, uh, plane, and most, 
a lot of planes used to be that way because you had to have a pilot and you had to have somebody to like work navigation and weapon systems because technology was not advanced enough and it's too much of a work it was too much of a workload for a pilot to do that mm-hmm. um and then you start getting into the F-18s still have the two-seaters, but you began to have technology that was good enough that you didn't need somebody in the back seat anymore. So they started taking that backseat role out. And so you really start to only have one pilot because computers do the rest of the stuff for you. Well, they allude to the fact that you're not going to need pilots much anymore at all. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think maybe at a certain point, for sure. Um, I don't know if we're there yet. I mean, maybe we are. Obviously, the military probably has better technology than we have in the commercial sector, but mm-hmm. like we still don't even have automated tractors or tractor yeah. trailers or things like that. They have right? automated tractors, pretty yeah, much. Well, but people still have to be in them, mm-hmm. kind of. No, there's really? whole. Yeah, there's whole. Where I've never seen one. Yeah, there's. You haven't watched much TikTok. Yeah, there's guys that are in like warehouses that are running tractors that are out in the field in Las Vegas. Huh. I've never seen that ever. Yeah. That's interesting. I feel like yeah, it's, 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 it, it is happening, but yeah, it's, it's not very prevalent, but yeah, it's there. Yeah. And, and obviously there's heavy use of drones nowadays. Yeah. Like that's the whole, that's the whole thing. You got guys in, in Nevada controlling UAVs over in the middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I'm not sure. I don't think we're there yet. I think we still have a need for pilots and we still will have a need for pilots for um, a decent amount of time. So I think that, you know, I I think that there will be missions where they might choose to use UAVs and there might be missions where they choose to use pilots or maybe pilots start to have more of an oversight role or something. I don't really know. I don't know enough about that technology but i think they're for a long time there will still be pilots they're not just gonna it's just not gonna flip a switch one day and suddenly there's not pilots so do you have a criticism at all of the movie Mm -hmm. um i have a a couple of the homages were a little on the nose uh when they were going through the final mission and was it after the before? I'm not sure if they were in the F-18s or if they're in the F-14s. But Rooster, I think it was in the F-14. Rooster says, "Do some of that pilot shit, Mav." Mm-hmm. That seemed a little on the nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's literally just words out of Goose's mouth from the first movie. Yeah, uh, which some of them were, but that one felt like a throw-in line. Like that you've got to let him go, Mav. Is words from the yeah. first movie, but like it had a different meaning this time. Yeah. That one didn't have a different meaning. It didn't carry any other weight and it was just kind of one of those throw-in lines which I personally have pet peeves about. Like I think that sometimes in action sequences people just put like lines in there to elevate the energy and they don't necessarily need to be there. I think it sometimes takes away from it. Um the Last song. Didn't like the last song, really. I think that they could have done a better last song, personally. Um, I wish that Bob had had more of a role. Yeah. Like, I felt like... What do you I think Bob you, meant? They alluded to the fact that Bob did not mean Bob. It meant something else. I think they said it, but I, I forget what it was. I don't remember him saying it. They made a joke about it. Do you remember what it said? Mm-mm. They I made a know. joke about it. I was... Re- 
Like, they wrote Bob in such a way that I thought, especially after the first scene where they introduced Bob, because Bob is a really nerdy kind of character. Um, you know who you know who that is? Mm-mm. It's the president in um, Independence Day. Mm. That's the fighter pilot. That's mm. his son. Oh, okay. In real life. Well, like, I thought for sure it just would be so fitting. And, like, honestly, the, the funny thing is when you think of who might be, like, one of these pilots, you would think of, like, some daredevil type person right Mm -hmm. but in reality who ends up being fighter pilots are hyper intelligent people Mm -hmm. like they're they're kind of nerdy you have to be a certain type of nerd to be to fly planes to any extent but especially to fly to a level of that like they they have the nerdiness and also the physical ability um just like astronauts right like you think of an astronaut and you just think of like a space cowboy but Astronauts have like PhDs and multiple areas of science and are among some of the smartest people alive, not to mention just like perfect human specimens. And that's kind of the same as, as fighter pilots. So when they introduce him, he's kind of, he, he's a contrast to the stereotypical vision of a fighter pilot, yeah. especially one that was propagated by the first movie, right? The first movie, all the fighter pilots are stereotypes, are your stereotypical like jock. Type people. Jock type of guy, which, yeah. I mean, obviously, those that is a fighter pilot. But, mm-hmm. um, I thought that... Nerds with attitudes. Yeah, I thought that for sure he was going to have, like, some kind of role where he was just a freaking badass. Mm-hmm. Like, because they set him up to look all kind of nerdy so that I was hoping there would be a payoff where he, like, they... Sh- almost like when Top Gun or when Maverick is at the bar and he's the old guy and he's buying all the shots and nobody knows who he is. The same, and he walks in to the Top Gun, and they're like, oh, shit, mm-hmm. that's Maverick. Yeah. Same kind, which was also an homage to the other movie, because that's what happened to Maverick when Charlie walks in to be the instructor for Top Gun after he hit on her on the bar the previous night. Yeah. So another homage, but in a subtle way, and a way that carried different meaning this time around, which I think is the important part of an homage. There's two parts of like a good homage to me. I think it's... One, calling back something important from the previous movie and, like, connecting your audience to it, but also giving it a slightly different meaning but in a way that connects to the previous one, Yeah. right? So you think about what it meant the first time, and the second time it means something a little different or uh, kind of flips things on its head or something like that. And I yeah. think they did a really good job of that. But they did. They did do a really good job of that. I was hoping that this, a similar thing would happen with Bob, where yeah. they all are making fun of him, and he's over there kind of being nerdy and awkward, and then they get to the first course, and he's like just blows everybody out of the water. He He's just like freaking that was head my and shoulders f- above everybody else. I thought he was going to like put Hangman's uh, foot in his mouth. Is that what I thought they were writing him to do. That was my favorite se- sequence of the movie was when Maverick shoots them all down. Yeah. In the training, that was my oh, favorite yeah. one. Oh, sweet. So do you? Do you well, have? It also calls back to how Maverick had. It's like switching roles because mm-hmm. when uh, when Maverick shows up to Top Gun, he thinks he's the freaking yeah. best that's ever lived, and there's all all these old timers flying. Mm-hmm. Flying older airframes, like what are they gonna do? Yeah, and they just freaking smoke them all. Yeah, and 
and it's like, okay, now, now Maverick is the instructor. Yeah. And he gets to do that to all these guys yeah. who are like, oh, I'm, there's nobody better than me. So do you have something that was like, eh, I don't know how I feel about that? Or do you have a, a criticism? Because I have one major one that jumped out at me. The one about Bob was one that I thought of. Because as soon as we you, we walked out of the theater, you, I think you said it. You were saying something about, I thought Bob was going to do something after they introduced him. But nothing. he never did anything. And I thought the same thing. But. I did enjoy how in all the scenes, like when he was in the back seat, he would always like pop out and say something. <laughs> which to me was funny because it's, I don't. I've never obviously been in a cockpit, so I don't know if it's loud in there. I can only assume that it is. Mm-hmm. But, like, well, you I wouldn't bet. have to do this to talk to somebody in the front. Like, you have comms. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just <laughs> yeah. it was just kind of a funny little quirky thing for him to do. Like, he's back there. He's like, <laughs> pops his head out and then comes back. I thought that was just kind of a quirky thing for, for him to do. Yeah. I hated John Hamm's character. I didn't Who's, like him. Which one is that? Cyclone. Cyclone. Which one is Cyclone? Which one was Cyclone? Warlock and Cyclone. Warlock was the black admiral and Cyclone. Oh, was yeah, the other. yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't I like him? I didn't think he did a good job acting. I thought he... There was a couple times where I was like, that was a weird line delivery. Yeah. Oh, like, are you talking ah, about the guy like that was trying to, like, pretty much screw him up? The yeah. Time? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That guy I didn't thought like he either. was... I thought he... I didn't think that was the best character choice. I like John Hamm. Didn't think he was the best guy for that role. Um, I just... He rubbed me the wrong way, and it never he never made up for it. Like I just—I mean, to be fair, do you think he was supposed to rub you the wrong way, though? Yeah, he was, but he was. was, but not in the way that the movie intended. He rubbed yeah. me the wrong way because I just don't think he acted that role well. Yeah. Oh, I see. What you're I don't think he did a good job. I thought Warlock was great. I thought Warlock did a really good job. He, you know, even though he was very limited, he he was the catalyst in some of the funnier moments. Like you know, that was a rhetorical question, and like yeah. you know that kind of thing. But like. Cyclone didn't deliver his lines well. He, I thought, like, in the one time, it's when he was delivering bad news to Maverick, and he just looks down at his paper after delivering his line. It was just awkward to me. Um, I just felt like he just did do a good job, and that kind of, every time they'd come to him, I felt like there was something off with him every time. Um, I thought there was a couple of, probably one or two like really cliche things that they added into the movie, which kind of what we talked, the, the one where rooster is not speeding up and they're talking to him the whole time and he's lagging behind. You knew he was going to stomp the gas. Like they they didn't, I don't know how they could have done that differently. Yeah. It's like, I saw that coming and I was like, okay, he's going to last minute. He's going to speed up and catch up. It's like, nobody didn't see that. I knew Maverick was going to steal the plane and do the run the run because he had to prove that it could be done in that amount of time. Like I knew that was coming. I almost yeah. thought I almost thought it was between him doing it or Rooster doing it. I I never I, thought Rooster was going to. I, and either one of those. And I also been knew that he was going to fly the mission the entire time. Oh yeah, later, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but was, see. That's where I thought maybe they would further the character development and actually relegate him to the management role, right? Where they would actually, like... And he'd he come does, in and save the day when things go wrong or something? No. Pull I a thought, hangman? I thought they would take a full circle thing and, like, 
He literally just was the instructor. No, I never thought for a second he would. Be I the thought instructor. they might, and and no. I, and either way would have satisfied me if they. I don't I, think yeah. I, 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 I like disagree that was, with that. I like that he was on the mission. Um, I think that that was the best way the movie could have been done, but if he had to sit in the control room too, I think that would have introduced a, a, an element that we had not ever seen of Maverick. There was another where he he had he was had to be on the sidelines. Well, I don't think he uh, could have done it. Like it's not within his character to be able to do that. Which I think is that's exactly why. why if they met, if that was what happened, he would have been forced to do that, mm-hmm. and then you you develop that inside the character like. I never, I, I never, I never even gave that a second thought. I'm like, yeah. The entire time when they told him he's going to be an instructor and he was going to teach the mission, I'm like, huh, yeah, right. He's going to fly that mission. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to um, be leading. I back. knew he was. And when they when they said when the guy's in there and the thing after he runs it and shows that he that, that it can be done, I'm like, and there you go. Like I knew that's what was going to happen. I didn't uh, know that Hangman was going to come save the day somewhere. I didn't know where. Yeah. But like they had they set him up as a backup. Mm-hmm. Obviously, and a bad and like not a good a, person. A backup to Rooster, and there had been the tension between those two. So it's like, okay, finally they've developed some sort of rapport. They've they've developed a camaraderie and a respect for each other. And like the final, the final straw in really solidifying that is Hangman saving the day for Rooster. But I didn't know when it was going to be. I didn't. I thought it was maybe going to be an aerial battle. Of some kind, or oh, he did. Mm-hmm. He did. He came in the F fourteen. Or it was. Yeah. It was uh, Rooster who saves Mav. Ma- Mav saves Rooster. Rooster saves Mav, and then Hangman <laughs> saves save them both. Each other oh, yeah. And yeah. Hangman saves yeah. him. Yeah. So, so I was. There, I was also hoping that the um, that the, there would be a little bit more with the um, girl pilot. What was her call sign? Uh. I forgot uh, her call sign, but I was hoping there would be more Phoenix. from her. Yep. I was hoping there would be a little bit more from her. I, uh, I would have liked to have some, like a little bit. Man, didn't care. Well, I think that it could have been an interesting interplay of her being a woman in a primarily like very male field and like that contrast for they could have they could have done more with that contrast. And the, I don't think they did. I'm I think they're just think like, oh, what, here's a. I'm trying to think of what the other cliche was, that was like, oh, okay, I can't. There was two of them. I love the fact that he was still on the same motorcycle. I did like that. Yeah. Oh, that he doesn't know how to run a ratchet. Oh yeah, he that was a real bad. That was real I bad. That. I was. I like, was like, come on, what, man. Which part are you talking about? In the very beginning, when he's trying, I guess he's taking spark plugs out of that plane. Like oh, you can, yeah, def- you can hundred percent tell he's not got anything on the other end of that ratchet. <laughs> yeah. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I had a whole nother uh, angle I wanted to run with. Um, was it at, towards the end? No, oh. freaking crap! Now I don't remember what I was going to say. But yeah, I mean. Overall, for me, like it was, it far, far exceeded my expectations. What were your favorite visual shots of the movie? When they're coming, when they're first started on the mission, and they're coming around that first bend on like the river, and, and all you, four of them, and the and the freaking vapor clouds. Yes. Yeah, hundred percent, oh, my favorite dude. shot of the entire yeah. movie. I was, I literally was like, <laughs> yeah, that was that was like that's legit. Like if you could put that on a poster, just that shot, <laughs> on repeat, I would have that in my room. I would have 
Well, did you know growing up, I had a giant wall-sized poster of an F-22 in my room? No. Above my bed? No, I didn't. Yeah, like wall-sized, like <laughs> enormous. And so then I took it to college. I took it to college and had it in my dorm room. <laughs> that, <laughs> was, that was one of them. And then any time he just stomped the brakes and that thing would just stop. <laughs> and one of my favorite times is when the when they go to pass – or they're in the dogfight with the fifth generation fighter, and he stops and he starts to turn. He's like, "Holy!" And they, and they just blow by him. No, there's a couple of maneuvers. I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." It's just like he turned the well. That's wall and that's the cool around. thing about the other thing about fifth generation fighters is they have vector thrust. Yeah. So for a long time, you only have your control surfaces on the wings really to uh, control the movement of the airframe or the aircraft. Um, but now the nozzles turn too. Yeah. So you open up a whole new realm of movement. Yeah. And so like you go on YouTube and look at some of these dog fighting maneuvers and you're like, that's not a thing that planes should do. Yeah. Like, what is that? Yeah. yeah. Defies the law. It just or that, or that freaking, well, I think it's called a Cobra. I think it's, yeah. that's freaking, that, those are yeah. dope. That was, that was <laughs> my, and I think the best and one of the best comic relief moments is when Iceman asks him who the better pilot is, and he's like, "Don't ruin a good moment." Like yeah. that was that was really good. I was also crying there. Yeah, there was a <laughs> there was a um, there was one thing that stood out to me, like on the acting side of things that Tom Cruise did that impressed me. I loved the lines when he said, "I don't like your face like that, Mav," and he's like, "You know, that's the only one I got." I like that, but then um, obviously in the planes. When he's flying the mission to show it can be done, the thing that stood out to me was audibly all you can hear is him like breathing and like tensing up and like the controls and like him going through those turns. Dude. Like that just brings you in so much more. It's just like shows you how important, since this is a Redneck Tech podcast, how important sound and sound design is to the finished product. Like well, airplanes aside. Fun. Like that one little piece, and you know, you know what I noticed that I did not notice in the other movie theater that was not IMAX when I watched it first. When he's standing in the office talking to Cyclone when he first walks, no, it's the cane. It's the when the the first guy that tries to shut him down in the in the cane. test plane. Yeah, he walks into that office, and in the IMAX, you can hear the clock tick, 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 tick. You couldn't hear that in the other theater. That just shows you. The tiny details, and I noticed, and I even almost like looked up and was like, can you hear the clock? I can hear the clock. You know, <laughs> like I didn't hear that the first time. I did not notice that. Did you notice all of the And grain? people clapping. I want to slap people when they clap yeah, in a movie. Oh, clap at the very end if you're going to clap, but during things that happen, I'm like, come on, guys. Like, shut well, up. And it's like, that's a huge moment. Yeah, shut your mouth. And you're you trying to watch the movie. your dumb self into the moment. Yeah, this this mom next to me clapped at everything. I'm like, shut up. I want to watch the movie. Quit clapping. Like laughing, laughing is fine. I'm okay with the laughing. <laughs> yeah. like Sobbing. <laughs> I, was, I was quivering at one point. I was like, I don't. You cannot full cry. Well, you know, I was trying not to full cry. You're like, like boo-hoo. <laughs> 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 that, that was... That was when they. That was when Rooster and Bab were leaving. Yeah, that was me. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> breathing like a. And rabbit. like I had my glasses on because I brought my glasses because I was like, I want to make sure I could see this the best way possible. That so shot, I had to like remove my that glasses. That shot where where Mav 
comes over the top of Rooster to throw out his flares to keep the sand from hitting him. Oh, that was freaking like, sick. Like, he looks above his head, and you can just see the jet. Oh, I was like, God, or dog. Yeah. Or the, the homage to flipping the bird. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. That's that's still probably one of my favorite movie scenes of all time, and it's not even a like a plane scene. Yeah. It's just them talking about flipping the bird. Yeah. It's it's really, really cool. And him blowing by them when they're like, and he's underneath them the whole time. And the there's just so many good moments in that movie. And the acting is, other than John Hamm, I thought everybody did a really good job. Yeah. Penny is awesome. She's absolutely stunning. Um, that's a really cool, how they bring that full circle at the end. And just all of it, you know. Um, the... Oh, crap. What was I? Was there something else I wanted to talk about? Now I can't remember what it was. But it was, I was thoroughly impressed. And I thought, like I said, like, I, you know, we were talking to Jason Ellsworth on the phone yesterday, and he said it has passed Ford and Ferrari for him. Like, just edged out Ford and Ferrari. Yeah, I would have liked Ford to see versus, Ford and Ferrari in IMAX, too. Oh, yeah, me too now. Ford versus Ferrari, if you haven't seen it. I wish it. I knew there was an IMAX right there. I didn't know that the IMAX yeah. was that close. I would have seen a it's lot more stuff. Well, Jurassic Park's coming out the 10th. I kind of went back and can see that in, in IMAX now. I haven't, oh, I, I want to see that one, too. No, I've seen the first one. I don't think I've seen the... There's like five of them. Yeah, I've only seen maybe one or two of them. You should watch the rest of them. What? The thing is, like, there's not a whole lot of... It's I mean, there's homage. Yeah, it's, it's just, just a, a new You don't one. have to see all of them to see them. Um I mean, I like Jurassic Park. I'm not one of those people who's like, Jurassic Park. I really don't have a, other than the newsroom and, I mean, I guess Yellowstone. Like, there's not really. I'm the same way with Marvel. Like, I, yeah, I've never. Nah. Marvel movies to me are like. Like, I don't if, have. If a, I had to relate movies to food. Yeah. Marvel movies to me are like chips. <laughs> they're <laughs> well, like they're tasty and I will eat them like if they're around I'll eat them and I'll probably like them it's not like but a it's not, I'm not gonna like go after it but like well see I don't a have good a movie is like a, a per, is a nice meal see like I don't have eye. a I don't have a I guess my top gun is gonna be the newsroom like I don't have a movie that like I was like that is like so not life changing but like that has been very impactful on me so if they came out with a new season of the newsroom, they're not going mind. to. But I would be very stoked for it. Yes, they're not going to. But no. th- there is no better time ever to come out with a new season of the newsroom than right now. But um, they're not going to. Um, I uh, it th- that the the sequel that's that cracked the top ten for me. That's yeah. really is really 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 good. Well, and they took it from. Like, the first movie, there's some emotional development of the characters. Um, there's some satisfying moments. It was really sad um, about Iceman, though, to see how yeah. how bad Val Kilmer's gotten 30 years. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. he's you know, he's not got a whole lot left in the tank, you know? Yeah. Um, and to see Tom Cruise look like he's not aged today. Who was it? Chuck said, Chuck's like, dude's a vampire. (laughs) He doesn't age at all. (laughs) He might be. Scientology, you never know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the first movie was like, I love the first movie because I like planes. Mm -hmm. And for me, that, like, that, and, you know, I like kind of cheesy stuff. Yeah. The first movie is not like, I would never describe the first movie as a cinematic masterpiece. Yeah. I like it for well, purely the, nerdy enjoyment reasons. Well, and, and the technology and, then, they just didn't have. This yeah. movie got but, but Top checked Gun all 2 the boxes. Is is a masterpiece. Yeah. Like, 
they they took all the things that made Top Gun one great, which were um like the the planes and and the the themes and you know some character arcs and made it better. Do you know what then, the Do you know what the budget for Top Gun two was? Oh God, I don't even want to know. Billions. No. I don't even know. That had to be a lot. Like to operate the cameras in the planes like that. It like. Okay, here's the better question. Top Gun, the <laughs> first movie. What was the budget for the first movie? <laughs> That's crazy. Isn't that oh crazy? Oh my gosh. Ten mil. Fifteen. Okay. What's the budget for the second movie? Seventy-five. Hundred and fifty. Hundred and seventy. Which they it sounds like they made that back the first week of the box office. So now everything's profit. What I want to know. Uh, what I want to know so is look, if they were so Top Gun one, Top Gun fifteen million, Top Gun two hundred seventy million. <laughs> I want to know like <laughs> if I was drinking water when I saw it, I would have spit it out of my mouth just to see. So I know that one was they're operating military aircraft. So and I know that the military was involved to some extent. I wonder if they got like any subsidies, sort of, any sort of price breaks from the military because obviously this is a recruiting tool. What? Pirates of the Caribbean of Stranger Tides cost three hundred seventy-nine million dollars. How did that cost tw- twice as much? Effects, graphics. Gosh. Like they must have just spent an but immense the thing amount is, on graphics. There had to be a hundred million dollars in fuel for Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jesus, dude. Yeah. Which that is also before everything well, hit the fan with prices. <laughs> they well, filmed that movie at the perfect time. Well, that's what I'm saying is I wonder <laughs> if like the military was kind of like, okay, you scratch our back, we'll scratch our, yours, because <sighs> like there is there's not a cooler movie for yeah all a these tool all these movies are like crazy in graphics. Star Wars, Last yeah, Jedi, Tangled. That's a freaking animated movie. Oh my gosh, The Lion King, Dark Knight Rises, two hundred thirty million. See, I would have thought Avatar would have been further up there. Two thirty-seven. I've heard Star- rumors of an Avatar two. Yeah, two thirty, two forty-five. That's crazy. That Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides in two thousand eleven cost three hundred seventy-nine million dollars. It had to have been graphics. Goodness, which this is this. This list, okay, Fantastic Beasts, 2022, 200 million. Doctor Strange, 2022, 200 million. No Time to Die, 2021, 250. F9, where's um, where's uh, Ford Ferrari budget? Ford versus Ferrari. Because I would say, I mean, obviously cars are a lot cheaper. It's 97 million. <laughs> this is freaking crazy nuts. But, I mean... It, it's one of those things to where I would take half. I of thought a it was going to be. That. I thought it was going to. Yeah, I thought it was going <laughs> to be. <a> project. <laughs> I thought it was going to. I thought it was going to be two hundred fifty, three hundred million is what it was going to cost to do it. I mean, you start adding jets into things, but you think about it. I mean, the jets scenes take up what forirty percent of the movie. Yeah, there was not as much flying as I was anticipating. I, I thought, thought there was more flying. I thought, than I really? Anticipate. I yeah. Same, I thought there was going to be more flying. I thought yeah. there was way more jets than I, I thought feel, there was going to be. Because I'm that. like, that's the budget killer is the jets. So it's like how... I want to know their ratio. Because I've heard for, from Top Gun 1 that they used every single bit of footage possible from Top Gun 1. Like they, they ran through all their footage. 
I'd like to know that too. Like they were taking shots and reversing them and stuff. Like no. they were pulling, they were pulling a, a waterfowl edit on it. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out where, the bird, you, where you're flipping it, zooming in a little bit. Turns out that when the bird looks the same, you can make you can, it do some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> We've learned a thing or two. I mean, hey, sounds like you could edit Top Gun Three if it came out. Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up. I ain't ready, but I'll try. Yeah, I'll have to have somebody help me on the sound design. Golly. Just let me watch the dailies. That's all I want to do. It was. I would sign up to watch the dailies and yeah. just categorize them. But, oh, like. Apparently, I was watching a YouTube video. Apparently, Miles Teller double punched. Oh, no. And they, one they, of his. So, they let them hit the record button? They had to. Because there was not a camera operator in the plane. Right? So, you've got a pilot. And in the back seats, the actor with the camera array. I would have double punched a couple of times so I could have got to go another run. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one is prof. You go on one run, you're probably like, okay. <laughs> but apparently, he was talking to like, oh, we we learned that you there. You know, we had to learn how to when to hit the record. Like all that stuff was on us. And he said something like, and we learned that if you did it a certain way, you would delete the footage. And he was like, you had to wait five seconds or whatever. And I was like, sounds like a double punch to me. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm glad. <laughs> like, God. That's a very expensive You want to talk punch. about high stakes double punch. That's it right there. Good Lord. They also said, so when um, so when they do the mountain pass and, and they go over and flip, mm-hmm. apparently the take that they left in there, Miles had his straps on a little loose. And so when they inverted, yeah, he came you did, up I and saw hit that. the canopy. Yeah, that was a mistake. It was, was not supposed to happen. And, and they, they left, left it in. in there. Yeah. Oh, it's same thing with them blowing up the uh, guard shack at uh, when the uh, hypersonic plane went over. over that wasn't supposed to happen. No. See that? See, I loved that part. Yeah. Wow. Stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Any that's the kind of stuff that adds it adds value to me. Is those type well, that's things? That's what I. That's what I always try to tell people is, especially like. I mean, I'm not to toot my own horn here, but I feel like I I'd like to make an effort to try to use imperfect footage a lot. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that there is a place where those imperfect moments in footage just add so much. Mm-hmm. Mm. And and like you can have there's some movies that feel clinical, and there's some some short there's some things that feel clinical. And the reason they feel clinical is because they're so perfect. And you know, and nothing in life ever is that perfect, and we know it. And you know that was pointed out to me bigger than ever after we watched this newest Batman. And yeah. I and I watched yeah, yeah. the comparisons from the new Batman and my favorite, which are the Dark Knight. You know, the Dark Knight series, and those are clinical. They're they're excellent. They're wonderfully done, um, but they're like too clean. One could be argued like a lot of the. A lot of the movies that Netflix produces are yeah. clinical. Yeah. Um, mm. Both in color grade and just how they're shot. Yeah. Right? They don't have a... Have you seen the new Batman? <coughs> I have not. You really should. When did it come I would out? like to see that came one. Came out? Oh, I would too. Holy crap. See, because I watched Dark Knight. Because I bet... I Dark bet. Knight or Dark Knight Rises in IMAX, and it was a... That was a experience. Just like watching... I mean, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of... I've only seen like three or four movies in IMAX, and every one of them had been like, "Whoa," hmm. you know. Yeah, and I, I always and now I want to like only watch movies that I don't want to see in IMAX now. Now, like a rom com, like you don't need to watch that in a freaking IMAX. I know. I'm just saying. Yeah. But like that kind of movie, if it's a movie that's available in IMAX, you probably should go see it in IMAX if you want to go see it. Well, I think too. Like, also, it's as a person who makes 
not movies, but makes content and makes TV shows and makes, um, you know, mo- videos. Uh, I always, I, I try to, sometimes it's difficult, like I'll get too wrapped up in a movie and I don't think about it, but I try to also gauge like how the movie is making me feel on a physical level. And like a really good movie, you you can feel it physically. Like there's parts in that movie where like I was, there's so much tension that I was shaking my legs out of like a nervous mm-hmm. tension or like, yeah. like gr- gripping onto things or t- clenching your teeth or elevated heart rate. Like a good movie yeah. and a good scene can make you, will create like, a physical response. Yeah, hundred percent. And I don't know. You wouldn't get like if you watch that movie on your TV at home, you will feel a tension, but you, it's not going to be like a overwhelming body tension. You go watch that in the theater, and you like I bet you could probably look at my heart rate and like match it to intense moments. You probably should like that. sync that to your phone and see if there's like some data from it. I bet there is. There might be. That'd be cool to see. Yeah, like I was curious about that. I was, I was like, yeah, everybody's got smart watches now. You can look on your watch, and you're sitting still for 45 minutes, and your heart rate is like 130. It's like, sounds like you went on a jog for two hours <laughs> and ten minutes. It's like, no, nope, I was just yeah. watching a movie. <laughs> yeah. So we've been talking for an hour and 13 minutes. Any final thoughts? Final thoughts. Uh, it's excellent. Go see it. Go see it in IMAX. Um. Like, that's where it needs to be viewed. Yeah. That's, it was made for it. Like, it wasn't even just made for it in the fact that they filmed it in IMAX. Like, that movie is made for IMAX. If they wouldn't have filmed it in IMAX, it would have been a disservice to that movie. Oh, 100%. Like, that movie is meant to be viewed as in your face, in your head, in your ears as possible. Yeah. Um, Go see Top Gun 1 before you see it if you haven't seen it yet. Because the way that they... Soundtrack was incredible, minus the one song. Yeah. Uh, The way that they call back to the first movie and the way that they both continue, develop, and close character and story arcs is beautiful. The cinematography is just next-level gorgeous. And not only was it next-level gorgeous, it it still felt rooted in like an 80s film look. Yeah. Like it it, mm-hmm. it did like if you put those two movies side by side they it it doesn't look necessarily like Top Gun 2 was was filmed it, I don't you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like they they kind of match. Yeah. It still has that same like the pace. Like grain no Same kind of, of visual like, aspect. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, the cameras are better. Um, I'm fairly certain, like at least the ones in the cockpit, I think were digital. I don't yeah. know. Maybe they filmed the other ones on actual IMAX film. What was that last plane that he flew with him and Penny? What was that? Uh, I think that was a P fifty one. It's a cool plane. Which is a like a literal first gen fighter. Oh really? Yeah. It's so <clears throat> actually, it's not even. Technically, it's not a fighter. It's a pursuit because in World War II, first of all, the Air Force was not yet the Air Force. The Air Force used to be the Army Air Corps. Um, in World War One, it was the Army Air Corps, and it was like just balloons. 
<laughs> balloons. Balloons, and then they started using the biplanes and stuff to literally just like drop bombs. Physically out. hold yes. them out and drop them. Yeah. Uh, and then in World War II, it was it was still the Army Air Corps, and my JROTC instructor would be very upset with me that I don't know the dates of which <laughs> it transitioned. Um, but it became the Air Force, and um, for the first part of the war, like a major part, especially in Europe. I remember what I was going to say now. Go ahead. Um, the strategy in 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 the European theater of World War II, air-wise, was like you just took these giant formations of bombers, flew them over cities and other installations that you wanted to destroy, and just bombed the hell out of them. Yeah. Right? Well, so they start doing this, and then they start realizing, well, even as heavily armed as these bombers are, they're still sitting ducks. Like, we don't have a... They need protection of some kind. And so they... they um, That's where you start to see your... your uh, what are now kind of fighter aircraft, but aircraft designed specifically for fighting other aircraft in the air. Right, because bombers were air to ground, like, and but they had guns and stuff for defense. But their primary mission was to get bombs on target. So, a fighter's primary mission is to engage other aircraft in the air. Like that's what they're made for. Um, and at first, they were called pursuit because their job was to pursue the attacking aircraft from the other from the other uh, side. Uh, and at a certain point, they changed it to fighter. But that's why you see a lot of the older planes will be a P, P model instead of an F model. Uh, the, as aircraft development goes on, uh, fighter planes begin to take on a more air-to-ground role than they had previously. And so that's where you see, like, especially with naval planes, but like Tomcats and stuff, the F-14s, are begin- they, they, they're doing more attacks on, on the ground. And that kind of starts... I believe in kind of Korea and Vietnam is when they start to utilize fighter airframes for that role along with bombers and stuff. Um, but the F-A-18, the reason why it's not an F-18, it's an F-A is because it's a fighter attack, which means that it serves both a fighter air-to-air role and an attack role air-to-ground. So the two things I remembered, we talked about a little bit, and I just want to touch on it, the recruiting tool that that movie is for people wanting to get into the military, Air Force, Navy. Like, it's incredible. Like, I want to be a fighter pilot now, and I obviously can't be. But, like, for a 13, 12, 13, 14-year-old kid that doesn't know what he wants to do with his life, and he goes and sits and watches that movie, that's what I want to do. And that can literally change the course of somebody's life. And, you know, that's the way they get to use the planes, which you explained is, like, they're in kind of cahoots with... Well, I can't confirm that. Well, I don't, I, they have to be, but they have to be. Yeah, because they're well, not going to go out and buy those planes. They can't go out and buy those planes for the movie. No, you not can't. with a hundred seventy million dollar budget. One plane's that much, isn't it? A lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was, there was. Me and a buddy were talking one time, like a year ago. There were some fighter planes up for. Market. Like I think, I think you could buy an F fourteen or something, or an F eighteen. Like somehow, I don't know how. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know how you get the license to operate it, and upkeep would be ridiculous. But yeah, um, so the, well, that's what the that's what the Thunderbirds and Blue Angels are for too. Yeah, is, is 
recruiting and show of force. Yeah, is what they're. That's what their mission is. So they're not just like the other, oh, cool planes do fast things. The other yeah. thing I thought about, and this is this is how my mind works. The Navy did a really good job and a really terrible job. They did a really good job of naming aircraft and missiles and things like that, like the Comanche, you know, the F eighteen, the Tomahawk missile. Like it's like those incite fear. And then they have petty officer, private. Like they did a really terrible job of naming their different officers. I don't know. Like how do you screw that up? Once you get up to like Admiral, and then that's like a pretty formal major. Yeah, I mean, but the, yeah, the low rungs on the totem pole, they got really screwed in the military, especially the Navy. But then you talk about like the Comanche, you know, the what, what was that plane? The one that they that they call the that has the radar on top. That was the Comanche something. And oh, then, the ETC Hawkeyes. Yeah, I see, believe those awesome name. Yeah, you know, so it's like I think I don't I think. I believe it wasn't ETC high. And then call and then the, the call radio. signs were like really cool. So do you know that you don't get to choose your call yeah, sign? Yeah, somebody else chooses it. I know. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So like yeah. how my name is oh, Red Velvet so. right now. Yeah. Because I didn't choose that. Yeah. That you A far superior human did. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised how often I have to explain to people where that nickname came from. Really? It's, oh god, it's so nerdy to try to explain that nickname to people who like <laughs> <laughs> who don't know me and don't know what I do yeah. or that there's a podcast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's awesome. But All yeah, right. You don't get to choose your name. What are your final thoughts? Dude, I thought it was awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, like what you were saying, one of the things I noticed too is the, like when they were making turns and he was like holding his breath and tensing up whenever he'd make a turn mm-hmm. and then he'd be in the turn and then he would, he would, and then yeah. he would brace and then yeah. do it. I thought that was like, and he was, was probably doing badass. that for real so he doesn't pass out. Well, it's yeah. a legitimate technique. Well, and that, oh, yeah. and that when he comes off the carrier, that, that first time you hear it, you know, it comes off the carrier and he like jolts in the back of his seat when it sucks oh. him into the seat. Like those are, that's so cool to me. I've been told that's the like one of the most violent things. That and landing are incredibly violent. Oh, I can only imagine so landing. you're going from like zero to however much in two seconds. Mm-hmm. They actually, um, when they, they take off, they... They put their. I saw him put up. his arm up because they the it's a catapult system, mm-hmm. and so they literally just catapult you off the front of the carrier. Yeah, and <laughs> it's a very it's a very dangerous. Whose idea was that? It's like you know what we can take that jet off and land it. Do you know on they, this boat? So there like, was, no, dude, you can't. No way. He's like, no, we can do it. <laughs> you know they landed a uh, they landed a U two spy plane on a carrier, no. just to see if they could. Gosh. Just just to see if they could. Uh, in World War II, there was a there was a really famous air mission called Doolittle's Raid, mm-hmm. where they took B twenty nines, like a legitimate gr- land based bomber, <clears throat> and they're like, okay, we need to hit. I want to say it's Tokyo. They're like, we need to hit Tokyo. The only way we can get there is if we take bombers off of the carriers. carriers. And everybody's like, you can't do that. You can't do that. And this dude, um, Doolittle, was like, yeah, we can. And he was like the commander for this bomber wing, and they were like, "Okay, it's it, they're literally like this is an optional mission." Yeah, like what's going to happen is you've got you you might have enough fuel to get there, you might not get there. Like you're what you're going to try to do is go over Japan and then hopefully bail out in China, but <laughs> you might not. You might get off the you might not get off the carrier. You might die. And he was like. I'll do it, and anybody else who wants to go, you can do it too. And of course, because World War II is full of badasses, they're mm. just like, "We'll all go." 
Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they've taken literal bombers off. And that those were not carrier-assisted or uh, 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 catapult-assisted. Yeah. Crazy. And it, it actually, um, and I don't know... I don't know when this was developed. I feel like the F-18 was one of the first planes to have this. I could be incorrect, but it's actually called a zero-zero ejection seat. For a long time, uh, you had to have a certain airspeed and altitude for your ejection seat to save you. Yeah. So if you had a cold launch on a carrier, which means that the catapult doesn't fire you at the right speed or you don't pick up airspeed and you literally just drop off the front of the carrier, you're... You're dead. You're that's not a good time, and and your ejection seat wouldn't work. Like it, it didn't have the altitude. Here's here's so they develop a zero zero so that you could literally be sitting on the ground at zero altitude, zero airspeed, and eject, and it'll put you high enough that you don't die. Here's another thing that kind of wow. that kind of it's I call BS on it, which I I understand it's a movie. I understand there it's dramatic. I understand all these things. The fact that he walked away from a Mach ten plane coming apart. Oh. Dude. I'm calling BS. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, that dude's gonna. He's going seven thousand miles an hour, what? and the plane comes apart, and he lives. No way. Not, not so much. They developed some pretty crazy um, ejection seats for seven thousand miles. An I don't hour? know. I don't. Dude, your whole face would come off. Yeah, <laughs> going that fast, the dude. outside of the plane was catching on fire. <laughs> I think that they had developed some ejection methods for the. I mean, there was a U two pilot ejected. Obviously, he's not going that fast, but from a very, very, very high altitude. Um, some of the initial, like, remember when Felix Baumgartner did his jump from the high altitude balloon? Yeah. Oh, a the, balloon. The Red Bull He wasn't guy? going 7,000 well, miles but, an hour. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> originally they had guys jumping out of balloons trying to develop parachute systems for, like, astronauts and pilots at very yeah. high altitudes. They actually had a, had a, um, the B- I don't know if it was the no, that wouldn't be the B twenty nine. I don't know what plane, but it was a plane meant to carry atomic bombs into places. They developed an entire like enclosed ejection seat, freaking cage thing, so that it could you could if you had to bail out or something. It, You're gonna need more than a cage player, dude. I'm thinking and about there was like, so, there was something like and. Uh, this is a very fuzzy piece of information, so I could be completely off base, so forgive me if my information is not factual, but, like, literally a cage to go around the pilot to shield them from the blast of of an atomic bomb as they were flying away from it. Just visually. So they wouldn't be blinded when, when the thing I don't thing see a way, and I'm not a very uh, smart person. I'm not a smart If you come out of an airplane running 7,000 miles an hour, you are in pieces. Oh, dude, you ain't no, you're not even in pieces. Be, you're literally vaporized. Yeah. Like, it would have to be some kind of, like, enclosed. Like, you would have to be sitting there, and it would have to come up over you and have a heat shield and then eject you and then have a parachute, <laughs> and then you'd have to, then it would have, like, I'm sure the technology exists. Dude, well, they have the pull-away. They have pull-away system. The, the SpaceX launch systems have, like, ejection modules. It's literally a rocket that pulls you away from the other rocket. Like, if... You have the big rocket that you're on, and then you've got your crew module, right, the little triangle part, and there's that pinnacle that comes off it. That That's like a in the in the Saturn Vs, but... How fast are those going, though? Are they going Mach 10? 
I they go real <laughs> fast. You're leaving Earth's gravity. I understand. But Mach ten. I don't know. Seven thousand miles an hour. That there are abort systems for things that are traveling extremely fast, fast at extremely high altitudes under extreme pressure, under extreme are. heat. I don't know, but I know for a fact that like, think about how like people turn to butter when you get in a car wreck. Yeah. Like that's like a hundred miles an hour, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, 42 yeah. Pro says SR-71 had a unique ejection system. That's what I think. But I'm, how fast was SR-71 going? It's real fast. <laughs> 7,000 miles an hour? <laughs> Look, here's the thing, though. Like, if they're developing planes that can go hypersonic at, at 10 times the that's speed of they're sound, putting it, they're the, probably also developing yeah. safety systems. Yeah, that's why they put a test pilot in it. <laughs> safety system. Because when the safety <laughs> goes south, dude's dead. It's like, sorry, he was a test pilot. Yeah. Like you know what he signed up for. talk about some crazy people. <laughs> yeah. Test pilots. Yes. I'm fully aware. Test pilots are some insane people. Like, it's one thing to take an aircraft like, like that's a, been you know, developed yeah. and tested and had all the safety protocols and be like, okay, we'll fly this to the edge of the limits. It's another thing for you to just, at all points of the development process, be like, okay, today we're going to test how it can turn. And like, if, oh, if it can turn. And, <laughs> if it'll and, handle the turn. And you got to see, like, how fast, how far is it? Like, basically, that's like you getting in a car and you're like, we're going to see how much I can do until it flips over. Like, how fast can I go I, and still Hope I don't break? die. Yeah. How, yeah. how fast can I go and still turn and not die? Yeah. All right. That's all I got. We're talking an hour and a half. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Right, um, let me go make sure we... I don't, we don't have any, oh, do we have any questions? SR-71 was developed in the 60s. Mach 4 to 5. Yeah. <laughs> not Mach 10. Yep. In landing, <laughs> they power up the engines just in case they miss the cables. All right, guys. Deuces.